The pandemic has presented plenty of challenges, but some have found opportunity. Today, we meet an entrepreneur who's helping businesses operate more safely. Hello, I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business New Hampshire Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Matt, here we are. Our we're doing a show. we're doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? We've uh, we've been working at this for for a while. To uh, I don't know how many months. I can't count anymore. Um, but I, I'll tell you one thing. I am so excited to be sitting here and and launching this and having a good time. Yes, and hopefully by the end of this, people aren't going. They should have taken no more time for planning. Yeah, right. Well, listen, <laughs> we've we've planned enough. We've planned enough. We had uh, we have many many months just to uh, to kind of come together really quickly for our for our new listeners. Um, Cardinal is a relatively new uh, strategy company based out of the North Country, and um, we're working with a, a wide variety of clients. But what I knew I wanted to do at some point was be a little bit different, and one of those things was. Um, Trying out a podcast. Everybody's doing it. I listen to some great ones, and, and there's a lot uh, that we can learn, and, and uh, we can have a little fun, too. And, and so I approached uh, Heidi Copeland, the, the owner and publisher of Business New Hampshire Magazine, and, and Matt as well, and I said, hey, do you guys want to do a podcast? Which was... <laughs> serendipity because we were already talking about the, you know I've been trying to push for a podcast for a bit and we were hemming and hawing about it because we didn't uh, want to dive in without being able to do it really well and, you know it's kind of the commitment we make at the magazine when we do something we want to make sure we're doing it top notch and this is something we hadn't done before and so you came along and we were able to really you know bring that synergy together just in business speak and uh, you know Come make sure that you know we're going to do this right. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we sure will. So we're um, we're psyched to be uh, to be working with Clark Creative out of Amherst, and um, you know to to do this right, to do this uh, the way that it should be. We've got a, a great lineup of guests, and um, it's awesome. It's awesome. So essentially, though, our focus is really um, bringing those fascinating stories of New Hampshire entrepreneurs and diving into uh, to issues shaping the the business community. So. With that, I think we need to dive in. I think we do need to dive in. Let's dive right in. Here we go. Today's guest is Paul Bemis. As the president and CEO of Applied Math Modeling and president of Air Cleaners, Inc., Paul Bemis has more than 30 years of experience in the high technology sector. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much, Nathan yeah. and Matt. Glad to be here. So tell us some um, about Air Cleaners, Inc., and about you, for that matter, but let's start with that. Yeah, well, my background is tech, primarily um, engineering, mechanical, and electrical. Worked in the computer business for many years for companies, including Hewlett Packard. So I have a pretty broad technical background and uh, have been associated with high tech in the Upper Valley with a company called Fluent for many years doing computational fluid dynamics. So my background is math and science and business, of course. And as we came into the uh, year 2020 and saw this pandemic unfolding, we recognized fairly quickly that this disease was airborne, that the transmission of this disease was airborne. And we could tell by the super spreader events. Of course, the company Applied Math Modeling does computational fluid mechanics. What that means is we model fluid flow, air being you know, a compressible fluid, 
we're able to model it and predict its path. And we can track a pathogen out of someone's mouth much like you track smoke through a room. You can see it visually. The, the software allows you to visually see it and measure concentrations. So we started watching and following the science and realized very quickly that this was an issue of airborne transmission. And that led us to the idea of how do we solve the problem. We're also members of the ASHRAE organization. ASHRAE is the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, Air Conditioning Engineers. Thank you. And these people <laughs> are the ones who ultimately set the standards, like the 62.1 indoor air quality standard. And therefore, we were cognizant of what's going on, understood the science, and began to work on solutions for our, our, our neighbors, in effect. How are we going to help these small businesses in New Hampshire? How are we going to help the little mom-and-pop shop and the, the, the restaurant and the, the little pub that I go to, and how are we going to help them? And that led us to uh, a solution that we now offer in the market today. And if I can jump in here, and I am going to really oversimplify it, but essentially the technology you developed, it, it sits in a, you know, a, a box that's sort of a bread box size, and it's designed to go in between you know, the worker, as it were, and the public and basically shoots an air curtain of, of air upward. So if I'm talking, I'm at the register, this is at the register, I come up, the air's going up as I'm speaking, as the worker's speaking, it's taking anything that we're breathing out and sending it up into the air towards the ceiling and then disseminating it uh, away. That's correct. All right. So it is a replacement. There's two primary benefits of the device. It is about the size of a bread box and it creates a curtain of air by the way, the cleanest air humanly possible because the air coming out of the device is passed through a HEPA filter. So HEPA is a high-efficiency particulate air filter. It, it produces the cleanest air humanly possible. It's the same filter used in surgical ORs or semiconductor clean rooms. And so the first thought we had, Matt, was how can we eliminate plexiglass? Because there's no scientific data that supports plexiglass. The, the term they, they tend to use for it is hygiene theater. So the idea is do something that makes people feel good but doesn't necessarily really do any good at all. So we wanted to do something that actually worked. And air curtains have a long history of separating air volumes very effectively. All we did is take the concept of an air curtain, put it together with a HEPA filter, and came up with a product that has the two benefits of both providing a separation and if you're not using it for that, producing a very high stream of very clean air into the environment to dilute the pathogen. The issue of transmission is concentration. It is how much viral load or dosage do you get based on the concentration of it in the air. And this dilutes it and, uh, and filters it and cleans it. Wow. Now, wow. I have to admit that <laughs> during the height of the pandemic, I think, you know, I had a moment where the, the toughest decision I could handle is what I was going to stream on TV, never mind inventing something that's going to help people get through this. So walk me through this, you know, when you realized that you could do something about it and how long you were in development for before you could hit the ground. And because and, and demand was right away. And I'm sure it was a race to the market to, to get solutions out there. You know, it reminded me of a, a bit of a scavenger hunt because we were sitting around, three or four of us were working on modeling and doing work, mostly in data centers. We work primarily mission critical data centers. We do a lot of OR clean rooms and semiconductor clean rooms. We do indoor air modeling. And we said, well, what can we do to help? We're not biologists. We're not virologists. 
were airflow people. And when this became airborne, we went, well, I think we might be able to use our expertise to be able to help. And we began building virtual models, literally models on the computer of devices that we thought would help. We also looked at a lot in the market and didn't like their airflow design. They weren't particularly good. So we iterated for the first few months. Then we went into design. We designed one uh, in about six months. And then I started looking for possible ways to manufacture it. And the scavenger hunt analogy is that every time I got to a point where I needed to make a decision, I looked for a clue and it, it encouraged me to keep going. Otherwise, I would have turned back, Matt. But every time I got to a certain location, uh, I opened the little box and it said, keep going. One case in particular, I, did a, I needed to build it. I had already made one out of plexiglass and it seemed to be working pretty well. So I needed to actually manufacture it. I Googled contract manufacturers near me, and I found this wonderful company in Tilton, New Hampshire. Who knew? Uh, yeah, called Spinnaker. And I took it down and plunked it on guy guy's desk and uh, who owns it and said, uh, hey, can you make me one of these? And he said, yeah, I think we can make you one of those. Let me introduce you to a few people. And that's who's manufacturing it today. So that's each awesome. step of the way, I got encouragement. And as an entrepreneur, you, you look for signals. You look for signs. Uh, sometimes they tell you, don't go any further. This is not a good idea. Yes, yes. But our market research suggested that there weren't very good alternatives in the market. Uh, the design of it seemed to be fairly straightforward with our tools. And then I went the next step to manufacturing and found a really competent organization within 20 miles of my home. That's so that's how we got going. Amazing, amazing. So the, you actually developed the clean air curtain because of COVID. This wasn't something that was in development and, and whatnot for, for a while prior to that. Correct. Wow. And we went from design to production in about six months. Oh we were gosh. producing in the fall of uh, 2020. Yeah. October, we shipped our first unit. Wow. Now, we couldn't have done that without the tools we were using because we were using design tools and modeling tools and CAD tools. We, we had all of this capability and knowledge that we could bring to the table that allowed us to get there quickly. And through contract manufacturing, we didn't have to hire. It was already up and running. They already had an ISO 9000 certified shop. So we were able to, to go right there and be able to produce. They introduced us to a sheet metal manufacturer down in uh, Rochester, New Hampshire. So the fun thing, too, is it's a complete New Hampshire solution. Well, I was going to say, this is a locally made product. Locally made this product. This isn't honey, but this is great. You Everything know? is local, including I did local financing with a local bank. I did uh, local sheet metal down here in Rochester, New Hampshire with Omni Metals. Uh, the whole thing is local. And uh, our thought is, if you can solve the problem locally, why not? because it saves carbon footprint, it saves transportation costs, it saves logistic costs, and it's good jobs for our, our community. Exactly. So the focus on local was always there, and, and we continue to have it. Now it's a big market, it's crowded, it's competitive. Time will tell, but uh, so far that solution is working. That's awesome. So what, um, what has demand been like for the product so far? Well, it's been growing. Um, Continuing to grow. We're not well known. We don't have a big budget for marketing. So it's a bit of uh, guerrilla marketing, if you know what I mean. You you connect through people you know, and you continue to do things like this. Thank you very much for inviting me here today. <laughs> Quite welcome. Uh, but demand is growing. And I will tell you that we have recently been selected by our major international uh, entertainment firm. I I can't tell you the name of the firm because they won't let me share it. You'd have to I, kill us, right? I can assure you. <laughs> I can assure you you've met some of the characters that work there. So what are some of the markets that you're finding success in? And were you surprised by markets that you thought this is, this is a slam dunk and yet maybe hit a wall with? 
Yes, uh, yes. In fact, Matt, you know, some of the markets that we've been successful in uh, include places like uh, uh, schools, although not universally. Some of them uh, pick it up and run with it and others don't. I've been disappointed by our New Hampshire public schools because they have not embraced this idea as rigorously as others. Um, we've picked up um, churches, so we've, we've got them in churches, interestingly enough. Uh, We've got them in retail stores. We've got them in fitness centers. So it's a variety of applications you see anytime people get together. So public places like um, uh, meeting rooms in government buildings, both state and local. So we're doing some work at the state level as well. Uh, any place that people get together. I have one in uh, a little shout out here to Steve's uh, uh, pasta shop, Angela's pasta shop here in uh, Manchester has one and, and they're, uh, they're very happy with it. So it can be anywhere. Anywhere people come where they're concerned about indoor air quality is a place you want to have one of these because the pathogens can last for hours, up to 12 hours. So uh, I want my, our listeners to understand that when you enter a room that has people in it or has had people in it, so a restaurant, bar, pub, anywhere where you enter the room, remember that the pathogens are there from the past 12 hours. Uh, they float. They float up into the air. They're very small, and they're, they float on thermal currents. Remember, the air coming out of our mouth is 986 degrees Fahrenheit. So anything coming out of our mouth in terms of small particles will float up. These particles are micron, 0.1 micron in size, 0.5 micron, very, very small. Human hair, by the way, 70 microns in diameter. So this gives you some contrast. And they float up and they hang in the air for many hours. And uh, if not cleaned, you can be infected by them. Uh, not only true, by the way, for COVID-19, but true for SARS, MERS, uh, the common cold, the common flu, tuberculosis, uh, and same particles are major triggers for allergies and asthma. Yeah. So the small particle issue is one we're going to continue to face even after COVID because our bodies are not well suited to handling really small particles. Right. I was, I was amazed recently in seeing there was an article, uh, well, just some data, about um, the drop-off in flu cases over the last exactly year and a half. Exactly correct. Because we're wearing masks. That's correct. Because we're reducing the amount of particulate into our bodies. And, and um, it was amazing. And I said, huh, isn't that funny how that works? Well, it's true. The flu, again, transmission, there's more airborne transmission than we were aware of. And the common flu is a big one. So that's airborne as well. The common cold is airborne. Variations of the common cold are airborne. If we clean up the air that we share, which is our logo, cleaning the air that we share, we have the opportunity to build a defense, a barrier against future pathogens and future transmissions. I wish there was more of it going on, Nathan. I, you know, I'm an advocate. I feel a bit like a canary in the coal mine sometimes trying to raise the level of awareness on this. But, you know, secondhand smoke was like this as well. And there was a period in the history, if you remember, of secondhand smoke, where they said, oh, well, this is a smoking section of the restaurant, right? <laughs> the smoking section. The smoking oh, section, God. if you remember that. It, like the smoke wasn't going to travel, right? <laughs> and uh, one analogy that, that I heard from a fellow who was, uh, he's in the medical field, and he was one of the people who testified to the New Hampshire State Legislature on this. He said, yes, it's, it's a little like peeing in the pool. Like this section of the pool is only, <laughs> only for people who pee. Over here, it's fine. Oh, you know, man. Same idea. With, Smoking or none. That's right. And it's the same idea here with pathogens. They float, they hang in the air, their half-life is more than an hour, 
Uh, and by the way, this variant, now the Delta variant, thousand times more contagious than the original. So as this thing mutates, its ability to produce more viral load from the person who's infected seems to be increasing. The alpha variant was 100 times more. The delta variant's 1,000 times more wow. than the original variant in its ability to transmit airborne. So cleaning the air that we share is a mission for us, and uh, we think it's a very important part of building a defense uh, for our future. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. This is, this is such a... Um a cool conversation and I'm, I'm like totally overwhelmed with information at the moment and, and it's so good. Um, tell me, I want to back up a little bit though. Tell me um, how you became interested in, in this and, and, um, and all of the work that you've done over the years. Um, you know, there's always a path and uh, how we get to where we are and, and would love to hear a little bit more about that from the days gone by as it were. Sure. So my early career was in fluid dynamics. I was a mechanical engineer as an undergrad, UNH, so I'm a New Hampshire boy, native, and uh, studied mechanical engineering, which includes the field of fluid mechanics. Uh, later in life, after a stint at Hewlett Packard, I ended up at a company called Fluent, who is in the Upper Valley. They're up in Lebanon. They have been acquired by a company called Ansys now, but they were the market leader in computational fluid mechanics. So using software to predict fluid flow, both compressible and incompressible, is a field that I got to know really well as vice president of that company. Um, the issue of indoor air and airflow is a is a piece of that, a fairly small piece, but I always found it interesting because of the human connection. The humans are in the room, right? So when we started modeling surgical operating rooms, I thought that was really quite interesting. As well, semiconductor clean rooms is another one, or laboratories where they're trying to do biological sampling and they need to be careful. Our primary business at Applied Math Modeling became data centers because data centers, as you know, with the growth of the cloud and high-performance computing, those are really dense as well. Now, that's more of a thermal issue. We're trying to cool them and make sure they don't get too hot. But we were always being dragged into this other sector, which was indoor airflow as well, and particularly cleanliness, um, the modeling of, of, of particles in the air. So when COVID came along, it was a very natural extension for us to begin to model that as well. We had the tools to do it. We could see in the super spreader events that it was always characterized by fairly small volumes, high concentration of people, and therefore we could tell that it was airborne. And we began to model it and be able to predict it, and our predictions were matching what was coming out of the major universities around the world. And we thought, okay, now that we understand it, let's try to solve it. And that's just a natural thing for an entrepreneur to do is to try to solve the problem once they identify it and see if they can do it cost-effectively. The cost-effectivity part of it is still open for us because we're producing locally and the costs here are higher than they would be if we offshored it and send it to China. But we have an ethical issue with that and a moral responsibility, I think, to our community to try to do things the right way and see if we can survive with it. So far we are. It is not uh, success yet. It won't be until we've got some history behind us. We're only in our really first full year of production. But we're cautiously optimistic we can do it. Now, this pandemic has had a lot of ebbs and flows. to. I mean, I, I know the pandemic seems like it's gone on forever, but it's, you know, under two years old still. Um, and, you know, there's been so many evolutions through it and, and evolutions in our understanding of it and a lot of misinformation that's out there. How big a challenge has that been? You know, especially, you know, businesses are trying to protect their workers, but 
you know, how they can protect their workers. You know, the advice has changed over time. Um, people are, are also just having fatigue about this. That's right. Um, and so, you know, how, how many businesses are really taking that long-term view? What are, What's the messaging you're having to get to them about why this is a long-term investment for them? Yeah, a very good question, Matt. And it's been a struggle. Now, we haven't been helped by the CDC and WHO, who both went out early talking about contact. So there's various methods of transmission of this kind of thing, contact and indirect contact. So contact is when I shake hands with you or you, you know, we interact directly or I'm standing close enough. Many of us have been close enough to people. We can feel stuff hitting us from, from people who are speaking. That's direct. Indirect is I touch something that you've touched. Okay, so that's indirect. And both the CDC and WHO came out early and said, well, you need to stand far enough away from one another so you don't have the direct contact from particles, big particles. And then the second piece of it is you need to clean surfaces. Well, as it turns out, neither one of those are a primary vehicle for transmission. Neither one. In fact, the number of scientific cases that they've confirmed based on direct or indirect contact are zero. So we got misled early on, and the CDC, both the CDC and WHO were very slow to recognize this was airborne, to admit once they had gone the other way that they were wrong and this is airborne. And so the community in general is still sanitizing everything. If you go to a restaurant or hotel, they'll say, well, we did a deep clean. What's that mean? We cleaned the surfaces. No. What did you do to the air? Nothing. It's airborne. So to your point, Matt, it's been frustrating to try to get the point across. Unfortunately, many people are fatigued already. Business owners are fatigued and they've spent money on hand cleansers and plexiglass and all of these things that are theater, hygiene theater. They don't really do anything to prevent the disease transmission and they haven't done anything about the air or if they have, it's modest at best. What you need to do is clean the air. You need to flush it and clean it um, and by the way, HVAC systems are not perfect at this. HVAC systems have been built, and I'm in the HVAC business. I, I'm, I'm the president this year of ASHRAE here in the Granite State. HVAC systems were built for thermal comfort. Are we warm or are we cold? They were not built for pathogen mitigation, and they don't do it well. They weren't set up to do it. In order to put a filter sufficient, like a HEPA filter, into an HVAC system is near impossible or the expense would be so high you can't afford to do it that way. So what you can do with your HVAC system is only part of the equation. The rest of it uh, is supplemental portable HEPA filtration. And so, you know, this is not your first rodeo. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur, what are some of the lessons that you're drawing on from your past experiences with the businesses you've, you've started and run uh, that's helping you to plow through some of the challenges that you may be facing in the startup? Well, don't burn cash too fast. I mean, that's the biggest thing. We're trying to bootstrap this um, and not uh, try to go out and get a whole bunch of funding and, and do it that way. I've been there before where you have expectations, very easy to build Excel spreadsheets of growth that look beautiful and then aren't realizable. So the idea is to increment it, to go slow, to try to pay your way as you go and try to build up that ramp slowly. Uh, that can be frustrating because it takes an awful lot of um, work, you know, good old detective gumshoe kind of work where you're out there trying to convince people one at a time that this is the right thing to do and they should be doing it. On the other hand, it's rewarding because you don't have, uh, 
to answer to this whole issue of investment, this big money thing that comes along. And the issue with taking a bunch of money, particularly early on, is you have no idea what the valuation of your company is because you don't have enough track record to really value it. Right. And whenever you take money, you're taking in exchange for equity of some kind. Right. So and you can be wrong. Expectations. That's right. And then the yep. expectations. So what <laughs> happens is it takes your, your focus off your customer base and turns it to your investors, and you're spending all your time talking to your investors and not your customers. So... My advice to people who are starting out is try to go as long as you can without outside investment, friends and family aside, you can always do that, uh, but try to go as long as you can and try, therefore, to get some track record and some history so that you can understand what your valuation might be before you start to inject money. And that's where we are, just trying to do it on our own um, for the first couple of years. Absolutely. Do you say that's one of maybe the biggest challenges for you at this point, or do you see other uh, challenges in terms of you know the growth and, and getting this product out there? It's the biggest challenge. Um, it's the biggest challenge I think is 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 growth. Trying to achieve growth without spending a bunch of money to get growth. You can always buy growth, but you have to then get a return on that investment that keeps you alive and keeps you profitable. So. Right. Again, I refer to the idea of guerrilla marketing. Guerrilla marketing is this idea of trying to do everything you can creatively using social media, using podcasts like these, using interviews. Matt, you were kind enough to interview me in in your magazine uh, earlier in the year and continue to try to do that so that you have enough momentum so that it becomes a little bit of word of mouth and then you accelerate with some key advertising in certain places once you've got a little bit of track record and a little bit of history. The rest of it is all just scaling. Can you scale it up? And in our case, we have contract manufacturing who can scale. So that's not a problem. And then you have um, supply chain that you need to manage, of course, because this material here. The cost of metal is going up. We use a a metal package. Ours is powder-coated steel. Uh, By the way, expected to last 10 years, these devices. So we built it with high quality, and there's some cost there, but there is also longevity there. Most of the parts are all sourced uh, locally. Uh, we do get the blowers from France. Other than that, it's all all local stuff, which is, feels good. It feels good. I bet. Yeah, it sounds good. It feels good. That's that's awesome, Paul. Um, is the clean air curtain the main focus for the time being, or do you foresee there being other products um, that the company will offer? Great question, Nathan. I think, we think, that it's really a service, not a product. Right now, it's product-focused. And you see this a lot in in markets where they start off with a product, and it becomes all about the product, and then later on, it becomes really a service. We saw this in the computer business. When I worked for Hewlett Packard, we started off, of course, product. But over time, the customer began to say to us, you know, we need to change these every 18 months because they're changing so fast in terms of technology that our leases are 18 months. So can you give us an economic arrangement where you pay, we pay you proportionately per month and you just keep them up to date and swap them out as, as appropriate? We think that's this case too. In other words, it's an air cleaning service. The vehicles that we use to clean your air are really inconsequential in a sense. We're just putting them there to make sure. And we're measuring the quality of your air and making sure that it's clean, much like a cleaning service you would have for the office anyway. You hire a cleaning service, they come in, they clean the carpets, they clean the rugs, they clean things. Uh, You can actually clean the air for much less cost than you can clean the floors. 
this is true because there's no human labor. It's done by machines. So you bring in the air cleaners, you set them up, you put instrumentation in place to understand what the air quality looks like, and what you deliver to the customer is reports, as often as they want, that say the air is this clean, and it has been this clean every day over the past month, and you continue to do that. We think it's important, Nathan, from two points of view. One is offensive. I want to make sure that the office environment is safe for my employees to come back into. I use office environment, it could be a church, it could be a town hall, it could be a public meeting place, it could be the state offices who are asking me this right now. We need to ensure the safety of the legislatures as they come in, the legislators as they come in to meet. We need records that it's safe. So that's a service. The defensive side of it is I think there's going to be liability here at some point where someone's going to sue a company for contracting COVID at their place of work. And what's the defense? It needs to be a report that says the probabilities are low because the particle count was five microns per cubic meter on the day or the week or whatever, or has been for the past month, so that yeah. the probability you got it here is very, very low. So I think we're going to see it on both sides. The offensive side, I want to protect my workers, and OSHA is beginning to pick this up, and so is the CDC. And on the other side, we protected you, so the probability of transmission is really quite low. That's our defense. Awesome. Paul, um, how can our listeners learn more and find you guys? We have a website, aircleanersinc.com. I encourage you to go there. Um, I'm Paul at aircleanersinc.com. Easy enough. Paul at aircleanersinc.com. That's right. And we answer the phone and we're, we're available. One of the great things about the state of New Hampshire is the population is fairly small, relatively speaking. So the opportunity to work with the people who are providing you solutions directly in person is much higher than it would be some, somewhere like Los Angeles. So uh, we're here, we're here to help, and uh, I would encourage everybody to take a close look at it. Uh, if you have a place of work that you're employing uh, people, you need to consider it. If you are an employee and you're going into work, you need to ask some questions about what they've done uh -huh. and don't take no for an answer. And I would encourage everybody when you go into a room, whether it's um, a pub, a restaurant, a place of worship, uh, be sensitive to the volume of the size and the number of people. Uh, ceiling height makes a big difference. Remember this, mm -hmm. you can think of it as smoke coming out of your mouth and rising up. If the, in the old days, you remember someone smoking in a room, you'd first see a plume coming out of their mouth. Then eventually it would come down from the ceiling and the whole room would become clouded and it would be a gray, smoky room. Same analogy, except it's invisible. You can't see it. And this is one of the problems is no one can see it. And so that's an issue. But being able to measure it has become uh, very cost-effective. We sell uh, measurement devices along with our product for $100, and you can put them on the table, and they'll read the particle count and tell you how well you're doing. And we've had one in our home, and my wife has become transfixed on the particle count. <laughs> Why is the particle count up? And it's interesting to see it go up when you cook and go down, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Or on a bad day, uh, if the windows are open, the particle count's high. We've had a few of those in New Hampshire with the wildfires on the mm -hmm. West Coast. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, the, now I know why my house smells like meatloaf for like three days after. Yes, right? those are <laughs> yeah. particles. Those yeah. are very small particles. Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. Um, you are, you're doing amazing, uh, amazing work and, and this product and this service, um, and it's local. I love that. Um, so I want to say thank you, not only for, for joining us here today, uh, but also for doing the work you're doing and, and applying your, yourself to, to this and really, um, you know, helping 
uh, others, as it were. Uh, Paul Bemis is president and CEO of Air Cleaners, Inc. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Thank you, Matt, for having me. I appreciate it. And any opportunity I get to to educate, and part of what we do is educate, a lot of what we do is educate, I'm willing to do it. If people would like to contact me and just talk about situations, I'm certainly willing to do that. Great. Aircleanersinc.com, right? That's it. Thanks, Thank Paul. Thanks for the great conversation. Thank you, Matt. And now the buzz with Matt Mowry. Let's talk about what businesses are buzzing about now. The New Hampshire Department of Business and Economic Affairs recently established the first collaborative economic development regions, or CEDARS, in the state to promote economic expansion post-COVID, whenever that might be. So they've created as part of the state's economic recovery and expansion strategy, these CEDARS, in order to engage regional economic partners to help the BEA and businesses with recovery efforts. And so to date, there's been two CEDARS that have been formed with the final two coming online by the year's end. And the new regional groups will facilitate strong collaboration among economic development partners in addressing areas such as business retention and attraction, workforce development, entrepreneurship, infrastructure, and business advocacy. So to find more about the state's effort to help businesses recover, go to nheconomy.com slash E-R-E-S. Another item that people are buzzing about is a recent report from intelligent.com that shows seven in 10 male business students, get this, think sexism is going to hold them back. I, I don't even know where to start. The researchers surveyed about 1,000 MBA students in August, and the study itself highlights the key points about underrepresentation of women in C-suite positions. But some of their data shows exactly why that is happening. It shows that 69% of men think they will not get selected for executive-level management jobs because of sexism, versus only 51% of women who believe that se- Uh, sexism will prevent from getting C-level roles. And according to the report, women are still outnumbered in C-suite positions. That's the reality. Yet, most male survey respondents believe it's because men are more qualified for these roles. I don't know what frat houses they were surveying. 65% of male respondents say men are more likely to have the necessary leadership skills, and 55% they have more experience. In contrast, 47% of women say more men hold executive level positions because of sexism. So you decide where the truth lies, but I, I think the women might have more insight into this. And that's what we're buzzing about today. Welcome to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll. This week, we're going to begin a four-part series on the foundations of building a business. Today, I'm talking to the people who have hesitated to take the leap, who need some advice, who want to start small, but who want to achieve their dream of owning a small business. Our focus today, passion, strengths, and weaknesses. What are you passionate about? What are you good at? Ask yourself those questions first, because the other side of that is understanding what you are not good at and what you're not passionate about. So what do I mean? How many chefs, for example, open a restaurant because they like to reconcile financials or hire employees or market a business? Not many. They cook. They're passionate about food. If you know early on in your business startup journey what you're passionate about and what you'll need help with, you can begin to build a team that will complement your passions. 
Now, it's too early to hire employees. We're not there yet. Right now, you should be building your network. Fill it with people and find the services that take care of the things that you are not good at or that you don't enjoy. But also know that you will indeed have to do some of these things yourself at first. That's just the way it is, and that's okay. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Hey, while we're on the topic of Rome, I'll say, uh, say it now as um, we're getting jazzed about this new business that you're thinking about, and we have our eye on the prize. It's okay to fail. Yeah, that's right. We said it here at BizCast and H. It's okay to fail. You will at some point fail. Just be sure that you learn from it, that you take something positive away from the experience. For now, stay passionate and stay focused. Thanks for joining me in the wildly passionate Cardinal Corner. Find more at our website, cardinalconsultingnh.com, or on social at cardinalconsultingnh. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard in today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business NH Magazine and Cardinal Consulting. Listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.